Speaking to Amma, I realized that each relationship has been built on intricate threads, instances, if you will, of young adults with young children learning how to navigate their own American dream with the help of those equally lost. What I really didn't know is that Amma built her relationship with Nandini auntie, a beloved family friend and one of my many mothers in the community, on a single cabbage dish. Presented by Food52 and Heritage Radio Network, you're listening to My Family Recipe. I'm your host, Arthi Menon. I'm also the lead editor of the original essay series on Food52. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Welcome, if this is your first time with us. And a big welcome back to all of you that are returning to join us as we explore some much-loved heirloom recipes and the delicious stories behind them. Today, I'm welcoming writer and lover of food, Lavanya Narayanan. Her work has been published in BuzzFeed and Food52 and elsewhere. Her culinary heart is deeply rooted in both America's Midwest and Southern India. In 2019, Lavanya wrote an essay for My Family Recipe called The Cabbage Bake That Brought Together a Community of Immigrants. She shares the story of her family's relocation to Indianapolis and how it reshaped their community and culinary traditions. Welcome, Lavanya. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to have you here. So, Lavanya, you describe yourself in the essay as the good child because you listened to all the stories that your elders told and upheld both family and cultural traditions. And while that did afford you some extra favor, you write that it was often that this meant more responsibility lay on you. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and how this place in your household shaped you. Sure. Probably a lot of, uh, you know, immigrant children growing up in America can relate. My household was kind of the perfect storm of the upbringing of two cultures. Um, we were, as we like to say, a family that kind of had its roots torn from Chennai, India, where we are from, uh, kind of traveled throughout the globe as uh, my father, who's a computer programmer, went uh, towards Europe and towards the west coast of America and finally settled in Midwestern America in Indianapolis, Indiana, where at the time there was kind of a hodgepodge of an Indian community. And I think what resulted was what we like to say a piece of Chennai, more accurately a piece of Kodambakam where we're from, uh, placed smack dab in the middle of white suburban America. And our upbringing really reflected that. Um, I call myself the good child, but with all due respect to my sister, she was equally good in her own way. <laughs> um, we both grew up very much in, in a sense of dualism. You know, uh, yes, we went to school. We went to a local school. We spoke English. We had large, lavish birthday parties uh, when we could or, or just intimate gatherings. Um, we dressed up for Halloween. But when we were home, we were caught up in a flurry of, uh, you know, Kumon classes and uh, Pata or singing classes. My sister is a Bhattanatyam dancer or mm. uh, dances traditional uh, 
South Indian uh, classical dance. And, um, you know, we grew up on a, a very robust diet of uh, what we call sapade or mm-hmm. a South Indian spread of rice and vegetables. Um, you know, dosas and idlis were really our mainstay, um, balanced with a healthy healthy dose of toaster strudels in the morning and cereals for <laughs> breakfast. Um, and so this is what I call kind of, in some ways, the best of both worlds. But I would say we even amped it up where I was really blessed to have my uh, grandmother basically bringing us up uh, as much as my mother did. And she's my mom's mom. And so we also grew up speaking fluent Tamil, um, mm-hmm. you know, visiting India every once to every four or five years and, and being very close with our extended family, which I think gives you a very intimate appreciation of mm. an immersion in your own culture beyond just being forced maybe by your parents to to uh, adapt certain traits or characteristics. Um, so this was really this was really the upbringing and, and the growth. And I think uh, it gives you such a unique identity, especially in the 90s to early 2000s when there wasn't much known about Indian culture and especially Indian mm. food, I think, still existed in the re- realm of non and unidentifiable subjis and rice. Butter chicken. Yes, the the standard <laughs> orange gravy that... Uh, ubiquitous orange curry. The ubiquitous orange curry. Um, and it's a point to note that we are strict vegetarians to the extent that we even did not growing up eating um, a lot of eggs, as you see with an anha mm-hmm. or anything. Um, my father was comfortable eating eggs, having lived in different places, but my family was, and, and still is, very, very kind of strict vegetarian and, and adheres to that. Speaking of uh, your diet at home, yeah. you write about how uh, when you moved to Indiana, you obviously found yourselves in an environment that was foreign to you and without access to many of the ingredients that were needed to make the food that you were most familiar with. You write about how your father bemoaned the fact that he couldn't find abrika or broad beans or flat beans uh, at the at the local grocery. Mm-hmm. Or that you had to drive three hours to access a Patel Brothers store. Can you take us through what that experience felt and looked like for your family? Yeah. Um, you know, my mom likes to tell us, especially with many immigrant families, when you first move here too, you're not necessarily what you'd call extremely well off where you can shop in specialty grocery stores or have uh, the ability to really um, engage in that culture and so they would have a have a minimal grocery budget that they would go to the local cub foods and kind of find you know what they called mountain high yogurt mm-hmm. or desi yogurt um, and this was before the days of the instant pot where now you can easily make mm-hmm. yogurt at home right uh, without turning on the oven and spending so much energy to uh, bloom your yogurt or have it ferment overnight. And um, during those days, these uh, kind of, you know, sojourns to the Patel brothers in Chicago were almost a community activity. So when I talk about this community with with this cabbage bake and, and how we all came together, a lot of that is over kind of a joint need to uh, sustain your families. And so we would make these kind of, uh, you know, family trips where, where a few of us, uh, a few of our families that were extremely close, we would pile up in our vans and uh, plan a trip to Chicago. Right. And uh, we would have our spread or all get masal doses. I was a puri bhaji fan at the time. Gotta love a puri bhaji. 
gotta love a puri bhaji, especially in a South Indian household where puris were were a, were a rarity. You know, not made that often. Yes, and uh, then uh, we would the kids would pile up again, and the adults would take us, and we'd head off to Patel Brothers. And whether it was your dals, you know, your lentils or your parpas, uh as I mentioned, my dad's love for avarakai or even a pavaka a bottle gourd. Um, and and most of these vegetables are still only available in in those stores. They are not available in an ethnic aisle or a, or a standard grocery store. For sure. And um, you know, especially to get a fresh crop. So these were things that were not looked at as inconveniences, but I think actually built the fabric of our community to the extent that now these are experiences maybe that no longer exist for us. You know, these are not things we need to mm. do anymore now that we have the resources here, but these are shared experiences that really weave the threads of the community and uh, create this infrastructure that, you know, uh, fosters, I guess, this lifelong friendship or really intimate kind of relationship we have with these people. Thank you for painting that very vivid uh, and visually rich picture of all of you piling into a van and heading off to invade the aisles of Patel Brothers. It is actually still pretty hard to find an Indian style yogurt. And oh I do go hunting for abarika and pavaka. So um, some things don't change that much. But um, I know in the essay, you mentioned that at, at in the beginning, you didn't really immediately find people that looked like you, thought like you, ate like you. And then suddenly there was an influx of Indian immigrants, people who shared a common country of origin, but often whose lives and culinary traditions were vastly diverse. Mm -hmm. One of those people was Nandini Auntie. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about how Nandini Auntie came into your life? Yeah. Um, so... Many families can relate, you know, when you are of a different culture, you kind of bond over shared religious beliefs, shared spiritual beliefs. You find people who are like-minded or have some sort of connection. So as we grew into the community and, and moved into our house, um, we met uh, many different aunties. Lakshmi auntie, who is my music teacher, um, as well as my uh, what we call Balvikas or one of my Sunday school teachers, um, Indu auntie and their family, who's another very close family friend. We all came together through uh, being a part of not only music lessons, um, our Tamar Sangam or, you know, Tamar kind of organization celebrating Tamar culture. And, and uh, we got introduced to Nandini auntie that way, actually, I think through Indu auntie, if I'm not wrong. And uh, as we all got to know each other, um, we became one unit. And like you said, you were sort of, uh, despite the vast differences in culinary traditions and languages and, and beliefs and upbringings, you were all sort of connected by the fact that you were all learning to navigate your own versions of the American dream with each other. You bond over, I think, the things you value. And that's something that has happened at my, at my age, too, as I've gotten to know different people. and and. Essentially, you bond over a shared experience when you are placed in a land of what is unfamiliar to you. Um, you gravitate towards what you recognize. And so in our case, that was things that bonded us over language, over, um, you know, religious belief, spiritual belief. And, and I think probably built in me an appreciation for how, how much food can 
play a role in that and bring people together, both in its similarities and its differences. So Nandini Antio not only became um, an important friend for your ama and for all of you, um, but also a culinary inspiration to your whole family. So for listeners um, that haven't read your lovely essay, can you tell us a little bit about Nandini Auntie's special cabbage bake? It's, it's a dish that you say, you know, may not sound very exciting, but has won the hearts of many. Sure. And, and I have to be very, very honest here. I actually didn't know Nandini Auntie's involvement till I wrote this piece. So I grew up thinking, you know, during uh, Dasara or Navaratri, which for listeners or, or readers who maybe have not, are not familiar with this festival, it's it's too much for me to go into. And Indu Auntie, who I mentioned, is quite the scholar who can give a much better explanation. But kind of the, the overarching, uh, I guess, description is that it is a 10-day festival or nine nights. Navaratri is nine nights, and uh, or what is called Dasera. And it celebrates the triumph of good over evil. So there are multiple stories uh, in religion, in, in Hinduism that reflect this, but we put up kind of this array of steps and arrange idols of God. You know, every day you go and you see whatever the other house, their presentation of the idols is. And uh, you often make an offering of some sort of art form. You sing or you dance for God. And uh, in that in that respect, the, it's, a, it's a thing I would say in our culture to kind of, no one should leave a house empty handed. So you're often offered like sindur or kumkum and uh, manjo, so, so basic kind of herbs to adorn your face with. And then you're given a fruit and some uh, sundal or a lentil kind of dish. And this is standard of Navaratri. In the US, um, it was a time for celebration. You know, how many times do we get to celebrate something for 10 days <laughs> in a community? They would put up these presentations and they would accompany it with their own spread of dishes. There would always be a sundal. In our house, we did something called putte. That's one of my grandmother's specialties. And somewhere, my mother started making this thing called cabbage bake. We didn't really know how it came about. You know, we've never heard of this. It's not something from India as well. One day it just and appeared it, at the table. It just appeared. And uh, it's a savory sort of snack cake where the bulk, which is very unheard of, is cabbage, <laughs> um, you know, uh, starch, cabbage, some some uh, spices as well, cilantro, uh, you know, chili, and uh, it became a huge hit. And we found that kids loved it, adults loved it, and so later on, I came to find when I was doing research for this piece and talking to my mother that oh well, other people in the community would make this. I had just never had it anywhere else. And it was kind of standard to our menu. And so we found out that there was a version in a India Association cookbook that the association had published. And uh, that actually Nandini Auntie had made this recipe. And speaking to my mother, Nandini Auntie comes from a little bit of a aristocratic family in, in India. And I think speaking to her, she said, oh, they had lived up north. You know, Amma used to tell me, I don't take credit. I just had the recipe and then made it and it was a huge hit. And so it kind of bonded us. And in fact, like like you say, and I quote that it this cabbage bake strays quite far from the more common South Indian use of cabbage, which is a much simpler kind of saute within the tempering of 
you know, coconut and mustard seeds and what have you. And I would actually go as far to say as, you know, a lot of people assume that in the South, everything has coconut. Mm -hmm. But as someone who comes from Chennai and we we cook, uh, we are Iyengar Brahmin, which is a whole different discussion. But the point of this (laughs) is that coconut is very signature to Kerala and certain parts of Chennai. But even in our household, it's used, uh, I would say, not so. Yes, it's not as ubiquitous as it might be in a lot of my friends' households who are from Kerala. So this dish has been adapted and preserved through the generations, uh, as you mentioned, and and I gather in Nandini auntie's family. And it was then passed down to her chosen family and neighbors and community. Can you talk a little bit about the significance of some of these ancestral recipes, especially for folks who have moved far away from their country of origin? Yeah, I think, and this is probably something that can really bring communities together and 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 something that anybody who's listening to this can relate to. Every family builds an identity on a multitude of factors, um, on your beliefs, on your the way you speak, on the language that you share, um, on the people that you know. And I think the way a community is formed is when these threads kind of interlace uh, knowingly and unknowingly in whatever form you make connections. And so I think the significance that ancestral recipes can have is that somewhere it builds your identity as a family unit, Mm -hmm. right? Because you have to ask, okay, what is my identity? How do we typify ourselves? How do we set ourselves apart or or maybe just say that this is who we are? And um, this is where those recipes can really come into play, where not only does it bring people together, it also when you speak to other people, be it friends or, you know, I can speak to someone who's from a South Indian household and they will say, oh, well, we have the same dish at home, but we make it this way. I think it simply means that this is a product of what we were exposed to, uh, our growth in a certain community, and what we eventually hope to achieve. I've lived in India. I I don't know if I mentioned it in the article, but after college, I actually moved there for three or four years, and um, I was living there. And it really amazed me. A lot of people would tell me, oh, your household in, in Carmel, Indiana is much more quote unquote Indian or what they call Mailapur Indian. You are you do things the old way. Uh, whereas here we've really advanced. You know, we eat pizzas and go to cafes and dress in Western clothing. And uh our kids don't really look forward to Dasara as much. Most of them don't want to sing or, you know, they kind of are they're more excited to go to America finally and I can't believe you guys still do all these things and you're saying your grandmother makes these things at home. I think this is because you search for what is familiar to you and you yearn for maybe what you feel you have lost out on. Um, and these are those things. So our identity really lives on in the form of these tried and tested family recipes that really do stand the test of time, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, whether it's, I'm sure you can relate uh in your own family. And I I think that's something everybody can relate to. It's why Italian Americans feel very strongly about their own cuisine and how it's maybe different than what you find in Italy or vice versa. Um, And as I've learned about different cuisines more, it just goes to show us that uh, each experience is so individual to the person 
you're talking to, which allows food to be as diverse as it is. Well, we're going to go into a very short break, but we'll be right back to talk more with Lavanya and welcome a very special guest to talk a little bit about this legendary cabbage bake. Hi, my name is Coral, and I produce Food 52's podcast. Now, Food 52 believes the kitchen is the heart of the home and food is the center of a well-lived life. And if food audio is as much the center of your life as it is mine, here are a couple others from our network that I think you'd like. There's Kristen McGlory's 10-year strong Genius Recipes column turned interview show, The Genius Recipe Tapes. Each week you'll leave with a new recipe or technique that will completely change the way you cook. And Counter Jam, hosted by Peter J. Kim. With the help of musicians and food friends like singer-turned-sassier Khalees, podcaster-musician Rishikesh Hirway, and rapper Ruby Ibarra, Peter seeks a deeper understanding of cultures and the identities we construct through the dishes and songs we put on repeat. Or The Sandwich Universe, a show all about, you guessed it, iconic sandwiches. Hosts and longtime BFFs Molly Boz and Declan Bond partake in philosophical debate. I mean, why even is it called grilled cheese when it's not grilled? Take listener questions and dream up delicious versions for you to try at home tonight. You can find Food 52's podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Welcome back to My Family Recipe. Our guest today, Lavanya Narayanan, has shared the simple joys of a recipe that's passed down not just through generations, but across communities. And now I am so excited to welcome her mother, her amma, Bhuma Narayanan, to the conversation. Welcome, Bhuma. Thank you. Thanks, Aarti, and thanks, Lavanya, for having me on this uh, show. This is my first ever podcast show. Yay! So thank you. Well, we're so happy you are joining us. So, Bhuma, do you remember the first time that you had Nandini Auntie's cabbage bake? And how did you know that it was something special? <laughs> yeah, so we moved here in 1993. But I think um, the first time I had it, maybe sometime uh, 1996 or sometime, like uh, normally it is during the Dasara, right? Like, so so we would meet every other Saturday or something in one, you know, somebody, each each of us, uh, our houses. And then, you know, obviously the the uh, it is a great chance for us to meet together and eat more than having a Tamil class. So like that, we started a group and then obviously you, invite close uh, friends to Dasara and all that. So uh, Nandini, actually, she makes some, you know, like uh, some dishes, like, you know, I am comfortable with this. This is going to be my dish every year for Navratri. Like that, Nandini used to make this cabbage bake. And then, you know, in India, I grew up never knowing anything about baking, right? So when I moved here, and then I, I was very interested in, you know, using the oven and baking and all that. But then when I saw the cabbage bake, I never had anything vegetable baked like that. So um, I was like, maybe is it a sweet? You know, I I thought actually only sweets are can be baked, right? But then when I tried it, it was really good, right? So then I just, you know, very nice. I have had people, some people don't share their recipes. I don't know why, but Nandini was so kind enough. When I asked her immediately, she wrote it in an index card. I still have that index card. It is like 20 years old now. 
It's also interesting to me that you talk about, you know, not, not uh, having moved here and not being used to the idea of baking or, you know, working with an oven, because obviously that was not traditionally part of the uh, uh, culinary tradition or cooking sort of process um, in India. And I wonder if the origins of this was in, I don't know, maybe it used, used to be steamed. And I wonder if, you know, Nandini auntie, you know, at some point it, went from being steamed to being baked could be yeah could be actually see that's another thing i wanted to tell you right remember like uh, what lavi said is true south indians don't have this way of like making it like this but if you want a comparable dish to traditional south indian it is nothing but what we call as usili no parpusili yes so how we make that is basically you can make a cabbage parpusili you will have the cabbage chopped cabbage but then instead of adding a chickpea flour, what we would do is we soak the, uh, the, the chana dal and thor dal with some chili, okay? And then we grind it with less water. Then we steam it and then we just saute it and then put mm. the cabbage to it. And so Nandini auntie's recipe that was passed down generations becomes your own for you to adapt and, and have fun with yeah. and get creative yeah. with. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I think I've gotten a lot of feedback and I haven't kept up with it, but a lot of people have commented both on the article and on the recipe with different questions or can I substitute? Uh, Someone asked, can you use red cabbage? We never have. I think red cabbage is not found too much in Indian cuisine. But as my mom said, it's it's very it's a very forgiving dish. Um, As most Indian dishes are, I think you can kind of mess and mix and match and Worse come worse, you come out with something uh, tasty that's your own creation that isn't exactly what you uh, set out to make. Absolutely. So, Bhuma, we talked a little bit about this with Lavanya. What was it like for you to relocate your family to Indianapolis? And, and, and what was your particular impression of the food that was popular at the time in the American Midwest? Yeah, moving here was actually not, um, I preferred but I never thought that we would move here permanently because we I grew up with a lot of cousins. And so for me, people and the open culture is good. Indian culture is really good. But I am not regretting it here because personally, I have grown up a lot here because here there is a lot of independence. And then you have a lot of challenges, which I learned after I came here. And then I could see that I, 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 which I would not have done it in India. In India, there is a, you know, the way each family is like, okay, this is how you, your role is, your role is. But then after coming here, I even um, had a business. I even, I was a businesswoman. I started a business, flower business and all that, which I would not have even tried it in India. So this coming here in the beginning was like, it's a lot of missing the family and stuff like that. But then I have, as a personally, I have grown up a lot here. My perspective has changed. I have seen a lot of, you know, people from different culture, different division. There is a lot to learn. I got a lot more opportunities. Even trying these dishes and all, I would not have done it in India. Um, So that is, I am very happy about it. Uh, Not just cooking, but the other things. I, I actually went to college here. So those things are great opportunity for me. So Lavanya says in the essay that growing up, she was the good child. She, of course, specified in our conversation earlier that her sister is equally a good child, just 
a different sort of good. Uh, do you have any stories about Lavanya helping you in the kitchen as you cooked? Yeah, my first daughter, Divya, her sister was not into cooking before. Now she cooks a lot. But Lavanya was always, always like she's very, very, very homely child. Everything what you ask for, she would do it. <laughs> and then in the kitchen, I still remember very first year, 1993, we moved here. And then that Deepavali, you know, that time they have an India association here. So I I reached out to them. I said, I am new to this town and I want to be coming to this function. What can I make? And my mom always lived with me. So my I even though I don't I didn't have that much cooking experience, my mom is there. So I am so happy. So then they said, oh, everything is taken. You just need to make, um, you know, a sweet called Badusha. <laughs> my mom is the best cook for the Badusha in at home. I told them I can make Badusha immediately. And they said, are you sure? You because we need to we need minimum 150 pieces and you are the only one who can make it. We don't have anybody else. I said, no problem. I'll make it. <laughs> so because I was so excited after coming from India, leaving everybody, I felt so lonely that this is an opportunity to find to a meet community. People. Yeah, yeah, meet people. Right. Then when Lavanya was young, we would make this like, you know, for Deepavali or something. And she was the first person to come and say, okay, I will do this. Like, you know, when you make Badusha, we just roll it out and then we cut it into small discs. And then for it to be fried and become softer, you need to, with a fork, you need to make holes on both the sides. So Lavanya would be that person. She would say, I will poke it, I will poke it. She will put that and then for decorating the color things, uh, desiccated coconut on it, that is her job. So like that, every time we do that or even rolling chapatis, she's on it. And then when she was in high school, ninth grade, I remember, every night we will cook something. I don't know, but she will start every night around nine o'clock. She'll say, mom, can we bake this? Can we do this? Can we do this dish? You know, people say, how did you get interested in food? I, I didn't I studied food later. I became a nutrition science major. I think all of it starts from what you are exposed to. You asked me, what's the strength of having ancestral recipes? Well, when you have two generations in your kitchen every night, home cooking a meal or home cooking food all the time, uh, those influences really shape you. They shaped me immediately and they shaped my sister now where someone who did not cook that much uh, now lives in Germany, has uh the instant pot and this and that, and, and is very comfortable making a South Indian spread, making fungal from scratch, making idli batter. Uh, she's really become, I think, the family cook, and I've become like the storyteller. Uh, it's, our, our tables have turned a bit. But uh, yeah, I those are some great memories that I'm glad to revisit being home now because of the pandemic. I love these stories of little Lavanya sitting and prick, pricking holes through 150 badashas. Oh yeah, no, she she loves, she's very meticulous. She likes uh, helping and she would do all that. And she's very you know, curious and inquisitive to know. Thank you so much for listening to My Family Recipe. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share it with your family and friends. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review to let us know what you think of the delicious story so far. Special thanks for this episode to Lavanya and Bhuma Narayanan. You can find links to Lavanya's essay, including the recipe for Auntie Nandini's cabbage bake in the show notes. My Family Recipe is produced by Dylan Hoyer and Hannah Forden. 
Our Julia Child Foundation Fellow is Kelly Spivey, and our audio engineer for this episode is Matt Patterson. Cora Lee is Food 52 Podcast Network's producer. Our theme song is Vittoro by Aeronaut. This show is a collaboration between Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network. There's much more to read and to listen to. Find even more stories at food52.com and heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, I'm Hannah Forden, Heritage Radio Network's program manager and a producer of this podcast. If you're loving my family recipe, I have a few other recommendations to offer from HRN. Everyone has a food story, and Let's Talk About Food is a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about pleasure, scarcity, overabundance, all the ways that food delights and disappoints. From our first mouthful of applesauce in front of our adoring family, to our first bite into a jalapeno pepper, and everything in between. For fans of storytelling, this is a podcast you're going to devour. For fans of chef interviews, Inside Julia's Kitchen will introduce you to the bright lights of today's food world. Enjoy rich conversations with Yotam Adelengi, Rodney Scott, Melissa King, and other leaders in the culinary world. HRN is an independent, member-supported, nonprofit podcast network. Listen to these podcasts wherever you're listening now, or visit heritageradionetwork.org to browse our library of 35 weekly shows and more than 15,000 archived episodes. Start exploring at heritageradionetwork.org.